Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores the feminine genius. Hey, when you open up your bank statement or your credit card bill when it comes in the mail or via email, is your first reaction to cringe? You are not alone if you'd rather avoid looking at the balance of your checking account. After all, I think a majority of us are sifting through things like student loan debt, credit card debt, and you may even be realizing that your money worries or the way that you think about money are acting like a barrier between you and God when it comes to trusting him. But it doesn't have to be that way. So in today's episode, a letter to the woman who hates looking at her bank account, Victoria Seacrest and I are discussing all things money. Yes, friends, we are going there. So let's leave behind this idea that talking about money is taboo or impolite. From paying off debt to growing in deeper communication with the Lord about what our finances look like, I loved this conversation and I think that as a society and as a whole, we would have a healthier understanding about money if we were talking about money this way. So if the word budget makes you squirm, this episode is for you. I loved this conversation and I can't wait to share it with you. We're welcoming to the podcast, Victorious Seacrest. She is a financial planner. We're going to be talking about figuring out finances. But before we jump into a conversation all about money, which is a hot topic these days, Victoria, can you share a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Yes. So I was blessed to be raised in a Catholic household. We went to church every Sunday. And for some reason, I really think it was the Holy Spirit. But I just had this sense that the Catholic faith was really important. And I wanted to go to Catholic high school. So I did end up going to Catholic high school, and it was my freshman year that Jason Everett came and talked, and that changed everything for me. I At that point, I knew faith was important, but the way that he talked and the beauty in it, I just... It, it just captured me. And actually from then on, he sent me some more books. I wrote him a couple letters, and we you know, kind of stayed in touch, but that just solidified everything for me. And then when I went to college, I still knew faith was important and I wanted to go to church every week. I had a car, so I was, I was lucky that I could drive myself to church. But I also had this frugal side of me and there was a church across the street from campus. And there was also another church that was like 10 minutes away. So I would go to the one across from campus so I didn't have to spend gas money because, you know, that's a big thing. And (laughs) what I found at this church, and I had never seen this anywhere, was they actually would have lay people doing the homily, and sometimes they would skip the gospel. And I was like, is this seriously a Catholic church? (laughs) And so I remember talking with some people after mass one day and they said, it's very contemporary. And I just felt like that wasn't really a fit for me. (laughs) But then in my head, I was like, oh, but now I have to drive to another parish instead of just walking across the street. And so I think that was kind of the first time where I was trying to choose like money over faith and really taking into account okay, money, like this is going to cost me something. (laughs) And it seems, I look back, I laugh, it seems so trivial. But at that time, I was just so focused on how much every little thing would cost me. And so I actually did continue to go to church throughout college, which I thought was a win. And there was actually a little, a few of us that would go, which I also thought was a win. 
But it wasn't until I graduated, I started working in television and I would work overnights and weekends and holidays that I kind of fell away from going to church. So a lot of times I would work until 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And so I'd leave work and I would just want to go straight to bed. So I would say, God will understand. I got to take a rest. (laughs) And I got into this habit of just not going to church. I just figured God would understand. A couple, about a, a little over a year after college, at that point, I wasn't going to church regularly. And I went through a breakup and I moved back to Connecticut, which is where I live now. And I really was like, I, well, I really want to be with someone who's Catholic, date someone that's Catholic. And so I said, I really need to kind of change my habits because I can't say I want to marry someone Catholic and then not be going to church myself. So I started going back to church and the last four years have just been amazing. And I love the faith so much and it brings me so much joy. And I just wish everyone could experience it because it is the most, it's, it's almost like, you know, people say things are too good to be true. Well, this is too good. It's, it's true. And it's too good to not be true. Like I just, I just love the faith. So anyways, that's, that's me. I love it. Victoria, you reached out to me via email and said, Hey, I'm really passionate about my faith and I'm passionate about my finances. Should we do a letters to women episode about this? And I love that zeal that you have and how you see this mix between faith and finances and how they interact with each other. Topics like money, how much we make or what our monthly budget is. They're not things that we bring up with friends over dinner. Money is kind of this taboo subject, at least with the culture that we're in, with the friends that I interact with. It's not like those are things that we're talking about on a regular basis. From your side of this as a financial planner, why do you think that is? Why don't we talk about finances and budgets more as a society? And would it be healthier if we did talk about them more? Yes. So there's a lot of layers to why we don't talk about it more. I think one of them starts at the home. So if you were raised in a household where your parents spoke openly about money, I think you're more likely to talk about it. So in my family, my dad was actually a financial planner. So the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So we talked about money pretty regularly. And I understood growing up that you don't pay for things unless you can actually afford them. So like you don't charge things on a credit card unless you have the money in the bank for it. So it just seemed obvious to me. So I think for a lot of people, they grow up in households where maybe their their parents don't really understand finances, and so they don't talk about it. So it just kind of continues on generation after generation. But I also think that from what I see with my clients is that there's this there's this idea that we should know, and the fact that we don't know is shameful. And so people don't want to admit that they don't understand the difference between, say, a 401k or an IRA, or they don't want to admit that they have some credit card debt because they think it's embarrassing and they shouldn't. And I can't tell you how many times I have clients in meetings and and they say, I'm a smart person, I'm a lawyer, but I don't get this and I really should. And I and so I think there's just lots of shame and it stays in the dark. And that's why I think yes, if we could talk about it more, it would be so much better because bringing things to the light, the truth, that's where we're going to make beautiful changes and let God work through it. Yeah. I remember there's been a couple conversations that I can think that I have had with friends that you know were, kick- were kickstarted by 
maybe a topic about student loan debt. And they were talked about in kind of these vague terms. At the end of the conversation, you kind of knew what the other person was going through when it came to finances. But because there was just, I think you're right, there's shame and there has to be vulnerability. I do have this issue that I need to work through, or this is a burden that I really need help with. Yet you have to admit it first. And that can be really intimidating. Totally. And I think you've mentioned Brene Brown on your podcast. Am I right? Yes. She's one of my favorites. Okay. So she says to be selective about who you're vulnerable with. And I think that is so true with money because there will be people who you might open up to about your financial situation. And it's not just because you're maybe in debt, but I see this even with clients who make a lot of money. They are embarrassed. Maybe they're a woman and they're making more than $300,000 a year. They're worried that if they tell someone this, that person is going to think of them differently or maybe try to take advantage of them. So it works on both ends, whether you have a lot or you have a little, that fear of vulnerability. And so I do think you have to be really intentional about who you share your financial information with because it there can be negative consequences to it. For example, when I was in college, my parents still paid for my cell phone. <laughs> and the funny thing is actually I'm I'm married now and I'm still on their family plan. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my, money. my husband's on his family plan too. We'll see how long this lasts. Anyway, but in college, my um, my parents paid for my phone. There was this conversation I was in with some group of friends and they were complaining about someone else they knew whose parents paid for their cell phone and how spoiled this person was. So immediately I'm thinking, I'm not going to share that my parents pay for my phone because they're going to immediately put me in the spoiled category. So I think there's different ways that you can feel alienated. And so it has to be, if you're going to start talking about money, have it be with close friends that you already trust. I really like the point that you made about how this really applies to both ends of the spectrum. Maybe there's shame around debt, maybe there's shame around income and being able to bring all of those things to the light in a healthy way with people that you trust. So I think I'm really going to love this conversation. Let's dig a little bit deeper. I think Brene Brown would be a fan of this next this next question. When we think about money, it brings up a lot of emotions. You mentioned shame. I think that's a big one, but I also think of things like fear or this maybe this tendency to control, or it could lead to anxiety. Maybe there's also positive emotions too. Uh, We hope that there's positive emotions when it comes to finances. Let's dig into that fear. Why is it important to spend time digging into the fears that we may have surrounding this conversation about money so that we can come out on the other end with this kind of virtue stands in the middle of this really healthy relationship with finances? I think like anything, we should dig into any of our fears because ultimately investigating them can lead us closer to God. And so for myself, I definitely had a fear that I wouldn't have enough. And so my spending habits, I mean, my my siblings would sometimes say I'm cheap <laughs> or fru- like super frugal, but in a negative way, because I had this fear that I would never have enough money and that something terrible would happen to all of my loved ones and I'd be on the streets on my own and I just wouldn't be able to take care of myself. And so what I realized, and I'm still working on this, is that I'm totally discounting God in all of this. He wants to provide And that doesn't always look the way that we expect. That doesn't mean we're going to get an envelope full of cash. But I mean, he says for us to not worry. And I realized that it wasn't so much about the money. It was just a deeper fear of not being taken care of and being abandoned. And so it just would play out in money. And I think 
that's what I see so much with my clients is that it's not really about the money. The money, it just, the fear just shows up with with how you spend money because it's a part of our life. Every single day, we have to make financial decisions. So if you're someone who's operating out of a place of not not sure that you're loved or not sure that people will be there for you, that's absolutely going to show up in the way that you spend your money and you manage it because we can't avoid finances. I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey. He, his financial planning tools have really helped Joseph and I when it comes to putting together our budget. And he has a radio show that I'll it, that comes in a podcast form. So I'll link it in the show notes. But one of the things he talks about is like, this isn't just a, com- a money show. You don't come to listen just to hear about money. We're talking about life situations. We're talking about your family. We're talking about your faith. This, These are all interconnected. And so I love how you talk about this, how often these issues that we have with money are kind of fruits coming out of a tree that's roots are something to dig through. And so it, it can be easy to just, well, once I get my finances figured out, it will be okay. But I love how you're pointing to, no, a lot of times this is a deeper issue that your finances are impacted by. And just taking care of the fruit isn't going to fix the root of the issue. Absolutely. And one of the saddest things that I see with some of the people that I work with, and I work at a place called the Financial Gym, which takes a fitness-inspired approach to financial planning. It's a it's a one-of-a-kind. We have a location in New York, and that's where I work right now. And then we work with clients across the country. So about half of my clients are across the country, and then half are I meet with in New York City. But one of the common themes, and this is I, I work with people in their 20s through their 60s, all different income brackets, is when I've heard from many single women is I'm afraid no one's going to love me because of my debt. And they're in tears. Or I work with married women who have this debt and they're too ashamed to tell their husband about it. And they just feel like they themselves are a liability because of the debt. And it is, it's really sad to me. And in those moments, I, I know that God put me in that place because I don't believe at all that you can't be loved or you can't be in a relationship just because you're in debt. No way. I don't want anyone to feel that way. And so I feel so privileged that I can be that voice to my clients. And I feel like I might be the only person in the world that they talk to about money. They might not talk to the people they live with about money. I just feel so blessed that I can kind of get rid of those lies that they're telling themselves. It takes a long time because we've built it up that debt makes us unworthy, unlovable, but it's not the case at all. Let's talk about debt a little bit more before we also talk about what to do when you're giving money away as well. But let's start Let's start with debt. Student loan debt is something that's a very, very much a reality for a lot of us. So just to kind of paint the scene, some stats. So last year, 69% of college students took out loans and the students that graduated that year, so last year, have an average debt of about $29,800 in both private and federal debt that they're carrying around with them. That's almost $30,000 and that, that's a lot of money. Let's say a listener is tuning into this episode and they're still in the throes of getting a degree. Maybe it's their undergrad, maybe it's their their master's. What advice would you give them about working towards graduating as debt-free as possible or also graduating with this healthy understanding of what 
of what money is. Yeah. So one of the things I would absolutely suggest is get to know the terms of your student loans. So find out, do you have federal? Do you have private? Do you have both? And then find out what the interest rates are. And you'll want to understand when you'll start to owe those loans back once you graduate. So usually it's like a six-month grace period. So you'll want to understand those types of things. If you have federal student loans, there are a lot of different types of repayment plans that are based on your income. So I really encourage you to go to the federal student loan website. It's a government website. And look up all the different types of repayment options because knowledge is power. And the more you can know about your student loans, the better. The other thing to consider too is if you do feel like you have a mountain of federal student loans, see if you can potentially work in a field that would qualify for public service loan forgiveness. So that's the PSLF program. And the way it works right now is essentially after 10 years of making qualifying payments, your federal student loans will be forgiven. This is something that's not guaranteed. Congress could end this program at some point. So you could be five years into it and they might end it. So I wouldn't say to bank on it, but it's at least good to know the ins and outs of that. The other thing I would consider is just know right now how much debt you have. And one of the things that is important is see how much you're actually taking on to pay for tuition and books versus living expenses. Because I often see clients get offers like when they want to go back to grad school, they'll get an offer for student loans that's like 30 grand more than they need per year. And if you're not intentional about it, you might end up taking out way more than you need and then you have to pay it back. So I recommend being really aware of how much everything costs and then making sure that you're sticking to loans that reflect that. Another um, thing that I absolutely recommend is you should look for scholarships like every year. And actually, there's so much money that goes unawarded because people don't apply. But one of my um, favorite websites is fastweb.com. And they have just thousands of scholarships on there and for all different types of majors, all different levels of schooling. And you should, you know, I say, look, if it takes you a couple hours, but you get a couple thousand dollars, that's a great ROI, return on investment. So um, another thing I would recommend is looking into work study so that, again, you're working, but you're also getting some money that can be applied to your tuition And that can be a way to not go into further debt. I also would say to people who are in undergrad right now, if you're thinking about getting a grad grad degree, I would be really intentional about it and do your research and make sure that you're not just getting a degree so you can say, oh, I have my master's, I have my PhD. Like, Make sure it's something you genuinely want to do. And of course, take it to prayer because you can easily go into over $100,000 of debt just going to grad school. And then if it's not exactly what you wanted to do, or if you just did it to impress people, it's a very expensive (laughs) decision. So I would just be, you know, even if you're like, I'm not sure what I want to do. Generally, I would say don't go to grad school if you're not sure what you want to do, because you'll for sure have debt. (laughs) And then you might not be in the field that you wanted to be in in the end. 
So I would say be really intentional about that and listen to what family and friends say to you because God might be speaking through them. And and if you have a lot of people who are like, are you sure you want to do this? Maybe it's not the best choice, but maybe it is because sometimes people do things that seem unconventional and sometimes that's the right choice for them. I think really the big thing is just being intentional and being aware of your spending. I would say if you're in college, absolutely soak up any sort of free resources. So you know, podcasts and books, the library. I mean, there's so much that you can learn. And actually, one of my favorite resources that I feel like every Catholic should know is the Compass Catholic Ministries. They're devoted entirely to money management in a Catholic way. And they have a Bible study. So if you're interested, you could sign up to do a Bible study. You know, if you're in college and there's a local parish, you could lead a Bible study there on money management, similar to what uh, Dave Ramsey has, the Financial Peace University, um, except this is this is Catholic focused. So there's, there's some differences there. Um, but then their website has so many resources. They also have a podcast, Compass Catholic, and they go through different financial topics every week. And I just think that that is an awesome place to start. I love it. So I'll also link all of those resources in the show notes. So if you're listening, you're like, oh, shoot, I'm, I'm not being able to write this down enough. Don't worry. We'll link them all in the show notes, too. When people come out of college, they can graduate debt free, which is absolutely wonderful. They go on, live a life, continue in their career, regardless of how their financial situation looks. It's good to have a healthy relationship with money. But that can seem like a vague term. Oh, I'm supposed to have this healthy relationship with my finances. So when when we get down into the nitty gritty, regardless of how many zeros are at the end of someone's paycheck, what are some practical things that they should consider maybe adding into their routine in order to live with this healthy, more healthy relationship, intentional relationship with their finances? One of the exercises I love is just printing out a statement from either your credit card or your debit card, whichever one you use most regularly, and then go through and label things either a need, a want, or a waste. And this is an exercise that a lot of us give to our clients at the financial gym, and I've seen great things come from it. So basically, you know, something like your utilities, that's a need. Um, A want could be something like a hobby. So if you for example, take dance class. You call that a want. And a waste, it's going to be different for everyone because really wasteful spending is anything that's mindless and that didn't add value to your life. So for example, for someone, it might be a pair of shoes that they bought on a whim that they don't like and they don't wear. And it's wasteful. And so you look at that and you go, oh, geez, I just spent, I wasted $70. And so the, the goal is that as time goes on, you look at your spending and you're noticing that it's either needs or it's wants. And there's a lot less wastes because I think one of the markers of a healthy relationship with money is knowing where your money goes. So if you're someone who says, I just don't know where all my money goes, that's a clue that you could absolutely work on your relationship with money. And so that there's no kind of confusion about where things are going. Ultimately, it's mindfulness and being able to look at your spending for the month and say, okay, I spent money on things that I value and things that my family needed and not on wasteful type things. And so a wasteful item could also be something where you just bought something to keep up with the Joneses. 
And I mean, we all, we all do that. I mean, we all are tempted. I get, I actually don't like going shopping. I'm like famous in my family for like not, I don't like going to the mall. I don't like going clothes shopping, but it's not because I don't like clothes. It's just that when I'm in that environment, I feel so tempted. I start telling myself I need this and that, and I don't want to be in that environment. I know myself that I can start telling myself lies that I need all these new clothes. And so I just try to basically avoid it. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying avoidance is a good coping technique, but basically I just tell myself before I go shopping, like, what do I need? And I'm going to stick to what I need. And even if there's this awesome sale going on, I'm going to recognize I didn't even have the thought of buying that till I saw that it was on sale. So then I know to kind of avoid that. So I also think for couples, for married couples, some good things to do is to have a spending threshold. So an amount of money at which you'll make sure you uh, discuss the purchase with someone. So maybe it's $200. So if say one of you wants to, I don't even know how much TVs cost, but let's say it's $200. So one of you wants to go out and buy it and you, so if it's $200 or $300, you have to say to each other, is it okay that I purchase this? Um, and that way it keeps the communication open between couples. And I absolutely think that if you're married, you should both have access, you know, to each other's credit cards. If you're not already authorized users. Also, I, I recommend having joint checking and savings accounts just to keep everything out in the open. I would just say another practical tip is to just write out everything every month that is a fixed expense. That way you have an idea of this is bare bones how much I need to pay my bills every month. And then variable expenses would be things like groceries, gas, eating out, retail. And I usually give my clients a budget for that. So I usually say this is how much per week. I don't care how much of it you spend on groceries or gas or eating out, but this is how much you have for all those things that are variable. I find that that usually helps people just become more mindful because it's just like counting calories. You know, if you have to keep a food journal, you're going to be a lot more aware of what you're eating. One thing that Joseph and I do, we both have the same credit cards. We're joint authorized users on our credit cards and we have a joint checking account. We also do a monthly budget together. When we first got married, I work from home. So I sometimes will go down to a coffee shop or Joseph will stop and get food with his coworkers. He'll go out with, for lunch with his coworkers. And so it got to the point where both of us were like, wow, you go out to lunch or wow, I go out to coffee a lot. And it got, into, it got to the point where it was kind of the point of contention. Like, why are you spending our restaurant budget on your coworkers food? I don't get to eat with you. Or why are you spending you know, the restaurant budget on coffee? I'm not at coffee with you. And so the way our budget is set up is that we both have these little fund accounts within our budget. And so it's money where it's Joseph's fund or it's Chloe's fund. And it doesn't matter what we spend that money on. You can save it. You can spend it. You can spend it. I spend it on Sonic. It's gotten to the point where it's not an argument anymore because it's like, yeah, that's your, you know, for instance, that's your $20 for the next couple of weeks. However you want to use it is the way you want to use it. And so that's, there's so many really neat ways that you can personalize the budget too the needs that you have for your family, for your relationship and things like that too, which is really neat. It's so customizable. Yes. I think that's great that you guys do that. I I always think that having just even, you know, you guys have the joint accounts, but also having those separate ones where you know like this is my money and I can spend it as I desire. I think that's so great. And I love that you guys are talking every month about your budget. I just think 
those they seem like tiny things and they seem like obvious things, but they mitigate so much financial stress. Amen. And that stress, it impacts not only financial conversations, those financial conversations about the budget, but it really, like we were talking about before, can really impact a lot of things. And you write on your blog, Consumer Catholic, that I will also link in the show notes, that sometimes money can be a distraction from your relationship with God. And I love how you point out that this can be a situation, especially when you're feeling like you don't have enough money or when you have more than what you need. So for listeners who find themselves spending a lot of time thinking about money, or they may find that their money mindset is a distraction from their faith life, how would you encourage them to grow both in communication with God about their finances, but also to grow in trust with God and his providence? I think sometimes actually it's easier to grow in trust when you don't have a choice. I actually had a situation this past fall where I was trying to move and I felt so silly, but I fell for an apartment scam and I sent some guy in Nigeria $2,000. (laughs) I know. And so when I realized it, I was embarrassed and just, I felt shame. And I, at that point, $2,000 was, I mean, it's, it's a lot of money, but especially at that point, it was a lot of money because I was actually not working full time. So I actually am so grateful that that happened because I just remember when I realized my mistake, I remember just the sense that everything was going to be okay, but also that I didn't know if that meant I would get my money back, but that everything was going to be okay. And I didn't get my money back. So yes, I lost 2000 and I didn't, I mean, I, I was living with my grandpa at the time and I just continued to live with him, which I'm so grateful that I did. I think that experience for me was so necessary for my growth. And I think that almost in a sense, it was like God saying, okay, Victoria, I've really tried to get you to rely on me, but it's going to like take this situation for you to see that it's going to be okay. And so I don't know. (laughs) I'm not sure anyone can like take anything practical out of that because that was something I couldn't necessarily control. But I do think that trusting, I mean, it's, it's like the ultimate question. How do we have trust in God? How do we know that we're going to have enough. Um, But I find that it's almost like it's a daily exercise. And, And I find that between going to adoration or just throwing up a Hail Mary at any point or just when I'm feeling really stressed, I'll say, all right, God, like I'm really stressed. Just being honest in that way of knowing that, yeah, he's not someone who's just going to do something for me, but I feel like I could just be honest with him. This is so frustrating and it's not fair. And I wish I made more money. And and just being able to vent, I find Mm -hmm. just helps me. I just get this sense of like a felt sense of peace. And so I think, of course, it has to include prayer and I feel so cliche saying that, but of of course, it has to include prayer. You have to talk to God about your financial situation. But I also think, you know, it. we also have to be practical about it. And so maybe you go to adoration and maybe that's where you bring your 
statements and you go through the statements and you your bank statements and like you're almost like going through it with God. I would say that it's a combination of changing your mindset and realizing that you can have somewhat control over your money while also God being the ultimate author, but also the practical things like being intentional about your spending, having a budget, knowing your fixed versus your variable expenses, and being aware of like what your benefits are at work and knowing how much interest you're paying. Just kind of having all that information on even just on a sheet, even if you just spend a, an hour or two going through your finan- finances. I usually, uh, once a month, I like to do like a net worth check. So I'll check all my retirement accounts, my investment accounts, checking savings, and I want to see what my net worth is. So even just doing these things once a month can really help you become more aware. But I also encourage people to be patient with themselves because this doesn't change overnight. It doesn't change in a month. It takes time. We've been, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're probably 18 years or older. And, and so you've had years where you had a different mindset about money. And so that takes time like anything. But I think that the focus should always be strengthening the relationship with Christ because then any sort of financial hardship will be, I don't want to say that much easier to deal with, but you will have an even stronger foundation of your relationship with Christ to deal with whatever financial hardships come. Yeah. In the beginning, when you're talking about how, yes, it's important to be vulnerable, but you should be vulnerable with people you trust. And it sounds simple, but always remembering that a conversation with God is always a place where you can you can trust him. Yes. He is trustworthy. He's a good father. He doesn't think anything less of you if you bring these struggles to him. And so just, yeah, bringing that full circle. God is a someone you can be vulnerable with. He knows your heart, but he wants to hear it in your own words. And so knowing that that is a safe place to process this. Yes, totally. And I feel like that's been one of the biggest things for me, just in my my faith journey in general, just being able to talk to God and not worrying, honestly, that sometimes I sound like a brat. <laughs> you know, there's not, you're, I feel like we're so tied up in making sure we sound a certain way to people. But with God, it's just, it's such a, it's so relaxing because you can just be yourself. He knows you anyway, you know, and you can just open your heart and be so vulnerable with him. And honestly, I wouldn't even be worried about offending God because he's God. Christopher West, I've been to some of his talks and sometimes he mentions this story where I think a priest told him to have a a really good confession and he was like yelling at God and just getting angry. And at that point, the priest said something like, well, that's, that's genuine. Like, this is so great that you were like that. That's what God wants. It's just so awesome that we have that ability to have that conversation any time of the day. We have dug into so much here. There's so much more to continue to dig into. So where can listeners find you online? And tell us a little bit about more about your podcast, Treasures in Heaven, and where they can find that too. Yes. So online. I'm at consumercatholic.com. I'm not much of a social media person. I do have a Facebook page for the blog, but I don't post that often on it. I'm terrible. I I don't love using social media, so I just kind of haven't embraced it yet. But you can always uh, email me as well, consumercatholic at gmail.com. 
And then, yeah, so I do have a podcast, which is I sporadically um, have episodes. <laughs> You'll be surprised whenever a new one pops up because it's like it's not planned. So, um, yeah, so Treasures in Heaven right now it's available on the Apple podcasts and Stitcher. And my tagline is we talk about uh, money, travel and more. And really, that's an super open-ended on purpose. Uh, One of my most recent episodes was with a woman who was diagnosed with breast cancer in her 30s, and she's a survivor. And so that, you know, that's not necessarily money-related, but I just like talking to Catholic people, and I'm always open to people reaching out. If you want to be a guest, I'm happy to talk with you. Yeah, I'm hoping, I mean, I keep saying I want to start having more episodes, but I just got married this summer. So wedding planning took up a lot of my time and, you know, working full time um, eventually. And that's something I have to accept about myself that I'm not there. But it's okay. I I love podcasts that are, I mean, sporadic is, is a word for it, but just the, the pop up and it's like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. What a good surprise. And so no, do not beat yourself down. <laughs> it, it's a season. We're all in them. It's good. Yes. So anyway, thank you so much. This is so much fun. One of the last questions that I ask when you come on the podcast is about the feminine genius. And I love how you see your financial planning as a mission field. Can you speak into how you live out the feminine genius as a woman who's passionate about faith and finances? I try to do this in many ways, but I do think because finances and understanding them is one of my gifts, one of the ways I can live out the feminine genius is by sharing that with others, like in this type of context, but also working with my clients and maybe being the only voice in their life that says, no, you're still worthy. You're still lovable. It's okay that you don't know how to manage your money yet. And also, I just think embracing myself as a daughter of God, I love being a woman. And I love the fact that as women, we get to carry life inside of us. And so I'm not going to be shy about that. I think it's great that we're the ones who get to carry life. So I think just every day I I really try to become better, which I think that there's so many ways that that takes shape. But, you know, I trying to pray as often as I can and going to mass and trying to go to adoration once a week. And I don't have this all figured out, but I think the most important thing that I figured out is that God loves me no matter what, and he thinks the world of me, and he delights at my existence just like he does for everyone else. And I think the more that I can live and act from that knowledge that I am loved and will always be loved, I think the more that I can just live out that feminine genius. And I hope that, and I'm not always you know, great at this. I have my moments, but I hope that people can that people can see my joy and see my love of being a woman and that, you know, it can help them appreciate their own femininity. I love it. Victoria, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story as a Catholic woman, this passion that you have just for intentional relationships with finances and helping people to be able to interact with money in a healthy way. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Letters to Women. If you go to my blog, oldfashionedgirlblog.com, you can find the show notes for today's episode, which are going to include all the resources that Victoria and I mentioned, including Brene Brown, because I'm always going to jump on the opportunity to mention her, Dave Ramsey's daily radio show about financial peace, Financial Gym, where Victoria works, Fast Web, Compass Catholic, Consumer Catholic, and Victoria's podcast, Treasures in Heaven, 
which you should go subscribe to as well. Hey, there's something also new over at oldfashionedgirlblog.com. When you go over there to check out the show notes on that top navigation bar, you're going to see a link about Created for Love. And that's a brand new book that I have coming out with our Sunday visitor, November 4th. The countdown is on to see this book have it in my hands and have it go from this beautiful journey, two years in the making to having a book that has these devotions in it. So Created for Love is a book for engaged women to really dive into their own interior life while they're in the process of planning a wedding with their fiance. So if you maybe clicked on this specific podcast because you're in the process of maybe combining your finances with your fiance or planning a wedding and trying to juggle that and all these other financial obligations in your life, head over to oldfashionedgirlblog.com and click on the link created for love. And if you pre-order the book before November 4th, that's the official launch date, I'm going to give you three free gifts. And those include um, a set of prayer cards for you to pray through your engagement with, a set of phone lock screens about the feminine genius so that when you look at your phone every two minutes, like I do, you can be reminded of the fact that you're the beloved. And the last thing is that I'm going to give you a sneak preview of the devotionals in this book. So head over to oldfashionedgirlblog.com and check it out. That is all I have for this week's podcast. Join us in two weeks where we will continue to explore what it means to live the feminine genius in today's, in today's world. But until then, be not afraid.